Welcome to episode 33 of Ad Creative, a new show from Pencil about the unexpected ideas that have changed the game for DVC founders and operators with a focus on actionable takeaways. I'm Chase Mosin. Thanks for joining us. This week, I'm joined by Taylor Legacy. He is the co-CEO of Kinship, which is an amazing agency that does influencer seeding. You've probably seen him around Twitter dropping knowledge bombs and incredible value. What I found most interesting about Taylor was a kind of our shared interest in history, his thoughtful approach to leadership and being intentional about that, his past as a leader in sports and what that's done for his leadership style now, and the thoughtful approach him and his team have taken to growing paid social for their clients, some of them really heavy hits. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this one. Taylor is incredibly detailed in the way that he thinks about things. So pay attention and I'm really excited for you to learn on this one. All right, so really excited uh, to be joined on this episode of Ad Creative with Taylor Lagasse um, from Kinship. Did I say it right? You nailed it, man. Wow, probably there pronounced it better than I ever could. Got yeah, some French, yeah. got some French in there. Yeah, he's uh, the co-CEO of Kinship, um, and I'll let him tell you what that is specifically. Um, but yeah, we've been him and I've been chatting for a while, and we were just chatting a little bit about our love of history, um, which we might weave into this his pod. So Taylor, you want to tell everyone what Kinship does exactly? Yeah, we might we might have to talk about how influencer marketing goes back 2,000 plus years when gladiators in Rome were oh. peddling olive oil and whatnot. Uh, but Kinship, give you a little bit of a tease there, influencer marketing agency. Um, yeah, can't wait to dive in. It's a little bit of a black ball for a lot of people. Uh, with, don't really know what to do with influencer marketing, so we definitely want you to yeah. leave this podcast with action items and a little bit more clarity about the space. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So before we dive into strategies and like what you what what you've learned and what gave you the idea to start the agency with Cody, I would mm. really like diving into people's history a little bit because I think it does inform a lot of the way that you have strategies ahead. So for sure. For anyone who doesn't know this, um Taylor was co captain of the UCLA football team his senior year. My guy did uh, his research. Yes, I did. Um, and I was pumped um, when I saw that. I, I love seeing that you had a, you had a fumble recovery on special teams. Uh, that hmm. was uh, that was a, that was epic. Um, I would love to maybe hear about because football is I don't care what anyone says. It is the greatest team sport in the history of team sports. Uh, wow. Even when things go wrong, it's the most coordinated chaos. It has things have to work in unison for for a team to win. It's not, you know, like basketball, you can be freelancing a little bit and make plays. And so I would love to hear about what you think football has informed about your career up until this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's more so just been, I mean, as a business owner, I think it's football prepared me just from the standpoint of being able to push your limits and your capacity, um, whether that's, I mean, a lot of the time it's physically right, but mentally as well. Um, so just being able to and willing to go that extra mile to get the job done and in our, you know, seat, uh, servicing our clients uh, better than anybody else out there at the end of the day. But what was unique and probably not what you're getting at, but my first touch point with influencer marketing was actually during my time at UCLA, I came in and was recruited as a safety uh, on defense and within my position group was Peter's son, Justin Combs, uh, who is like a B-list celebrity in his own right. So uh, while we were at UCLA, uh, what Chase did not say, yes, I was a co-captain, 
um, but uh, definitely was not the star of the team. Didn't have a career in the NFL um, paying me millions of dollars, so I definitely knew I needed to do, do something else. So we, typical college thing, started an events company, entertainment company, where every dollar that was generated, though, was on the backs of Justin Combs, Diddy's son, posting about it on social media. So that was actually my first touch point with influencer marketing, the power of it, sparking the intrigue with the space uh, at large that set me on my career path. Yeah, super fascinating. Um, first of all, shout out P. Diddy. Uh, you know, listen to the pod. Puffy. Uh, Puffy. Puff Daddy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really fascinating. I'm, I'm always um, interested with what different things people did that take a lot of rigor and essentially taking that into the business world, which requires, I would say, even more rigor because you're mm-hmm. not just taking care of yourself on the field, but you're taking care of your employees, et cetera, um, and making sure that they're taken care of on a daily basis. What gave you the idea to start the business? Well, I also just love what you just said um, as well. Football was, and just to kind of go back to your original question, everyone has their role, right? I was not the star. I became a co-captain because I found my place on special teams. Like you alluded to, I had a fumble recovery. It was like the peak of my career. I was the highlight right there. I had a fumble recovery against USC, uh, who was our rival at the time. So we all have our role. You don't need to be the star of the show. You play a part in the business. You play a part on the team. So that was a big takeaway for me, 100%. What started us to, what got us to launch Kinship? Um, From college, I went and worked at an NFL marketing agency. Think like Clay Matthews, Aaron Rodgers, State Farm commercials, like macro influencers. Um, Definitely was not uh, a big fan of that. I actually used to like just scream in my pillow, man. Like the brands that would come and work with us were just kind of like one and done. There wasn't many repeat customers because we were just really selling them stardom. Like, of course, you're going to get a lift in performance. It's Aaron Rodgers. You throw his name, his face on your product, your brand, your sales are going to go through the roof. Well, that's actually not the case. Um, and there was nothing ever attributable. So transitioned out of there to a company called Common Thread Collective on the growth marketing side of things, Facebook ads, paid social oriented, uh, built out the influencer marketing department there. We're very much so fo- focused on micro-influencers as content creators to supplement paid media efforts. Um, we were able to see there that, hey, influencers are a great source uh, for creative. Um, it's not only um, a lot of the times more effective, it's just na- content native to the feed in comparison to a studio shoot, but we're actually able to get it at a lot cheaper of a price point. So that three years ago kind of sparked the idea of you know building out kinship and launching it. Um, yeah, we're able to get content at one-tenth of the cost, uh, get more of it, um, and a lot of the time it outperforms the other sources of content. So here we are today. UGC is still kind of churning on all cylinders here. Long-winded answer. No, not at all, not at all. I'm I'm about to go ham on some long-winded stuff, so get ready. Um, I love it. Come on, give it to me. I mean, our our strategies are very much so aligned, uh, so we complement other pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so starting a business, even you, you know, you had the events company, so you had, you had a, you know, your initial foray, but it, it's a little different when you don't have, I don't want to say the, uh, the protection of being in school, but essentially, you know, my dad always mm-hmm. said school is a great place to be because you have a, you have permission to just fail. Um, and it's okay. Right. And you have permission to fail at anything, right? Like, let me not, let me, you know, not state that too 
bluntly and say, oh, you can't fail at anything. Um, however, you know, your livelihood depends on kinship doing well, right? Like it is predicated right. on, on that being a source of revenue and you have 14 employees who depend on it as well, or 13 other employees that depend on it as well. So what has been hard during this time that you didn't expect to be hard? Um, because I mean, there's the standard stuff. Oh, business is hard to grow. It's hard to get clients. It's hard to maintain clients, all of those things. But there are some inner workings I'm sure that just caught you off guard because you had never done it before at this level. For sure. Uh, I don't even, such a open-ended question, right? Um, what was hard? I mean, the, there was endless days of survival in the beginning, right? You're just trying to survive. Uh, we're at a really healthy place at this point, but in the beginning, you're just coming up with different deal structures to try to get people through the door and, you know, doing everything you can, going outside a process to service these, uh, each and every client, which in the long run is definitely not recommended. Find a process, stick to that process. Don't go outside of that process. You'll ultimately serve yourself, but even more importantly, that brand and that client far better. Um, so, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I think something that will, is consistently challenging, but also the best thing within kinship that I think that I have and that I experience is having a co-CEO in Cody. Um, what makes that difficult is you really do need to die to your ego daily. Um, this is your partner. This is your co-CEO um, where we are both strong-minded. Uh, we are both leaders, um, but we both need to surrender to one another and submit to one another. Um, so it's a beautiful thing, um, but it's also a hard thing and a challenging thing. But I wouldn't definitely not be where I am today as a leader and our business would not be where it is without us being shoulder to shoulder and leading in that, in that way. But it is challenging 100%. How did you guys, uh, how did you guys come together? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I previously worked at a company, uh, Common Thread Collective, like I had alluded to. Um, prior to Common Thread Collective, being a growth agency in the space, um, they were really birthed out of a brand called Kalo. Um, so the managing partner of Common Thread Collective was also a partner at Kalo. Kalo became Common Thread Collective's first client um, and really gave birth to them, I think like seven years ago at this point, eight years ago, whatever it is. Cody uh, ran influencer marketing at Kalo. Um, so the, his mentor was uh, the managing partner of Common Thread Collective who is also my mentor at Common Thread Collective. We're both doing the same thing. You guys should connect. Hey, let's start a business. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure it was like six hours in. Let's let's start a business, right? Uh, 30 minutes. Yeah, we knew. Yeah, 30 minutes. Uh, it's time uh, to make our own money. Like, yeah, absolutely. Which looks like to give everyone our margin. Uh, they're, they're making that's right. too much off. Um, no, that's, that's, that's really... I think I want to dive a little bit deeper into this because... Um, there's not much literature out there about picking a co-founder or how to mm. actually work with a co-founder, right? It's just like, oh, you can't find a co-founder and you're, you guys have overlapping expertise, right? And so For sure. it's just not like a, hey, there's a technical co-founder and then there's a, you know, a go-to-market co-founder and um, there's a marketing co-founder and uh, it's, we both were influencer marketing experts. Let's start an influencer marketing agency. And so... I guess the first thing, what like sold you on that kind of relationship that you thought like, okay, well, we can go do this together and we're better together than alone. And second portion of that, 
how do you deal with having overlapping expertise versus having something like probably each of you has something that the other one doesn't do as well, but kind of the, the being joined at the hip, that point was predicated on having a similar skill set. Yeah. Well, his was more on the organic side. I guess we can speak to this and mine was more on the paid media side. Um, so we were able to come together and bring those worlds together in a beautiful way of how to leverage influencer marketing to win organically, how to win with influencer marketing via paid media. And so we really wore those respective hats. Um, but in deciding what to do here, we actually had a third partner uh, outside of the two of us as well. Um, so coming together, it was very much so Taylor Holiday, managing partner of Common Thread Collective. Boom, boom, boom. Here's the pieces. I mean, I was 24 years old at the time. I'm 28 now. So it's been a little bit over three years. Um, I was like, okay, this guy wants to seed fund us. This is an amazing opportunity. I definitely see the niche here and the need for this and where we can definitely differentiate ourselves and offer something that no one else is really doing. Um, so that opportunity was definitely the carrot dangled in front of me. We're like, I need to go, I need to take this opportunity and run with it. Um, but we found out that the partnership was, wasn't what we wanted to be and expected it to be. So before a year in, we actually bought out that other partner. Um, and we parted ways, but then it ended up being Cody and myself and still common thread to this day at this point. Um, but between Cody and I, that's how we divvied it up really allowing him to focus on the organic side and then me on the paid media side. Um, but at this point, we've just identified like four CEO buckets. And we actually recently just did this too. So you got finance, you have HR, you have sales, marketing, and you have operations. So I've taken the bucket of operations and finance, internal with clients. And Cody is really taking like sales and HR uh, on his side. So divvying that up, trusting one another to do so, um, and finding a hierarchy of decision making and how to come together, very important but divide and conquer for sure. Yeah, that's great. I really love the idea and the framework of there being, there being four buckets. Um, how did you, did you guys decided like, this is just stuff that interests us or you had seen kind of over the course of three years or so, this is where we're, we lean and do well. Is it, was it predicated more on skills that you guys had kind of, I don't know, highlighted in each other or was it a personal choice? In the very beginning, um, I was more like, numbers oriented in the very beginning i know i took finance and he was uh doing hr like legal uh, right from the jump so that's just been something from the beginning that we just decided upon and then operation internal external like you you get it more than most the majority of your time if you're doing sales is just on calls so majority of the time both of us were on calls but as of late we definitely want to have one of us internally focused on our process and how we're servicing our clients. Um, and really I would have trusted Cody to do that. He would have trusted me to do that. Um, either way. Um, so it just came down to which, which one we wanted to do, uh, and what the preference was. So we were talking about what's hard that you didn't expect. Being an entrepreneur is a, is a difficult task. Um, you have to be the culture setter. You have to be the person that, you know, keeps people spirits up, especially as you're starting a small business where you are directly in front of your team continuously. It's not a hundred, 200, 300 person company yet. Um, mm. yes, that's right. and, uh, what, um, 
what keeps you guys going or what keeps you going specifically that allows you to be able to have a positive outlook and, and drive the business forward in a meaningful way on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, I think a variety of different things. Um, one, again, influencer marketing, and this is where I used to like just scream into a pillow. There's a lot of people just hustling, you know, in, in this space of influencer marketing, a lot of agents representing influencers, just kind of conning people for these hiked up rates because their livelihoods are contingent off of that through a commission that they get through, again, these price points that don't make sense, that are inflated, that are hiked up. They don't really care about the ROI. It lends itself to the brand because they're not representing the brand. They're representing the client, uh, the influencer. Um, so one, what gets me going is rewriting that narrative, um, you know, re-educating people about this space. Influencer marketing, when most people think about it, they think about like a pair of Spanx on Kim Kardashian who was paid a million dollars to post about it. So it's just kind of rewriting that narrative and re-educating people to adopt a different philosophy and how they're executing this and genuinely giving people attributable ROI because of it. So long, it's all about the vanity metrics, likes, impressions, views, engagement. And we were very much so trying to make it as much as possible around the revenue that's being generated. So that definitely gets my wheels churning uh, on that side of things, getting uh, actual success from an ROI perspective for our clients through influence marketing and re-educating people um, and changing the narrative there. And then it's the, empl the employees, seeing their growth. Um, we, I love coming alongside employees um, and seeing that growth and investing in them and uh, allowing them to have a real opinion at the table. Um, like, I mean, you experienced it as well. Like we got on a phone with Chase to check out Pencil AI it's not just me and Chase talking. He talked to me and five other team members, and I genuinely want their opinion on it. I genuinely want them to go in there and, and try it. Uh, and if they love it and they do, then let's move forward. Let's give it a go. And, and next week, we're going to give Pencil AI a go. But it's not just me and Chase on there. It's the whole team. So empowering them is another thing that really gets me going. Yeah, I mean, uh, just, just for context, Taylor maybe spoke on our 40-minute call for five minutes and the rest of his team was asking questions the entire time. And then they had to listen to me talk, which is brutal. Um, you know, you're, you just were talking about uh, your team and uh, I just want to bring up a connection to you that maybe you don't see yourself. Um, that's being captain, right? That's mm -hmm. the same thing as being captain, bringing the team along and making sure that they're taken care of and they're growing and it's for their good, but it also helps the common good simultaneously. That's being a team captain. And I think you know, when you're a captain, you're kind of like a player coach, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, definitely see the through line there in terms of leadership and uh, the ability to invest in other people other than yourself to take the kind of like the rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing. One hundred percent. Yeah, that's a really really um, interesting through line there. So I'm going to answer my own question and then tell me if I'm completely wrong here. So I'm curious what has changed the level of your ability to deliver for clients and grow the business meaningfully. And you and I've had multiple conversations and then just watching the way that you do things. I think there is a, a big thing to be said for the pro the very detailed and thorough process that you guys go through to deliver for customers allows you to scale that repeatably mm -hmm. in a really efficient manner so that there are really nice 
margins um, in terms of time and efficiency for your team so that you can scale without having to, you know, throw bodies at it. Exactly. So that's my answer to the question. What would you say if I, you know, I didn't answer my own question? And just repeat the question real quick. What yeah. makes our model a scalable model um, with the way that we're servicing each of our clients through the process that we're doing it? Well, so that was my answer to the question. The question would be, what has been like one of the things you feel that has really, what idea that you guys implemented changed the game for the business specifically? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I would say a big turning point was probably, I mean, within the last year even, you know, we went through a rocky stage. We were a part of the e-commerce online group. Um, and it was full of like seven figure brands and we were like the only agency in there. So like you're in sales, like dream scenario, right? And we're looked at as uh, um, the thought leaders of the space. And if they have any questions about influence marketing, they come to us. So it was a pipeline for clients. That said, our philosophy and our strategy lends itself to a lot of organic posts going live from influencers free of cost. And that's great. But a lot of the ROI will come and a lot of the, you know, the real value will come when you repurpose that content into paid media. Um, we don't really view influencers as a me like a mechanism of distribution. That's like the gravy to us. We see them and their value as content creators. Um, and so when we weren't running the paid media on the brand's behalf, and we just entrusted, you know, all of that content to the brand to run on their own, it, it just left us very vulnerable to trusting that they're actually running this content, that they're running it properly and campaigns were being done. Um, in the way that we're suggesting that was not happening. And then we were just getting roasted in this, in this community and basically like, Hey, you know, you, you'll get a lot of posts out of it. It's content that, you know, basically nothing about running it in paid media. Um, cause we're not here to say you're going to get all this ROI from the organic side of things. You'll find like some gems and there's some, there's a long tail effect to influencer marketing on the organic side of things, right? You want to build your affiliate program off of that too. But in the immediate, if you want to see ROI, that's going to come through paid media. So a big game changer was we don't bring on clients unless they uh, allow us to run a month for free of paid media. They can take it from there. Another agency can take it from there. But hey, the content that we bring in from our seeding efforts, and you'll get 60 to 90 unique assets from it. After you plug it into Pencil AI, it'll turn it into you know well over 200 plus assets easy uh, from there. We'll, we'll be the ones that manage it and run it for free for a month. If we outperform, we outcompete, we'd love to compete uh, being the athlete here um, somewhat. Uh, we would love to take it from there. But if not, again, we've had the ability uh, to run it ourselves and bring in the biggest variable of success into our control. So that was a big game changer within the last year for sure. So two things that come from that, but I think they're part of the same uh, thread, is first, offering a month for free. So you're essentially like, it's like, we're always looking at like, what's the payback period on this investment, right? Looking at it like it's an ad, um, it's an ad unit. How have, um, what has the conversion rate been for you? And I mean, you don't, you don't have to say the number if it's, uh, if it's something you want to just keep to yourself, but have you seen a, like a meaningful ability to convert customers from using that strategy? Our LTV has gone way up. Um, mm. I'll just give you everything. Yeah, our LTV yeah. goes way up because it just makes us stickier, right? We got two services here. And a lot of the a lot of people in this space, 
of influencer marketing, they think of it as a seasonal thing where that's not what we're suggesting. This is something you want to do every month. And as it works, you want to continue to even scale up those efforts and the amount of people that you're seeing. So it rewrites that narrative as well and gets people to detach from the idea of this is something you do for Christmas. This is something you do for, you know, these Memorial Day. It's not seasonal. You do this monthly. So it allowed our LTV to go way up, our stickiness to go way up. Um, it allowed people to see the actual, you know, value of these efforts um, much more. So it decreased us getting roasted in e-commerce communities um, and just client satisfaction and the feedback scores that we're getting on a, on a monthly basis too. So across the board. We need to come up with a metric like a uh, like, uh, 30-day roast. And see like what what brands are getting done, and like obviously the lower the, the lower the percentage, like you, you know your MER or something. Um, like I mean every every company does this, right? Like I, I took a class and they were talking about uh, Pinterest, and they had like seven day repinners and clickers. And that was their metric, and they have an acronym. Interesting. For you. Like, this is a horrible thing to have to remember, but you know we all have our own. Like us for us, it's like who is who's exporting, right? That's our kind right. of like what is they are they weekly you know, monthly, you know, whatever, daily, um, active. So, uh, that's, that's really fascinating. Um, what in terms of getting that strategy in place, was that predicated? So first you obviously did that and offered that to the different communities. Well, what was the conversation like between you and Cody trying to kind of figure that out? Like, what can we offer to get this, to get this to the other side? of this canyon that we seem to be mired in right now because it's not going well. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it's just that taste in our mouth, right? People just, if they only, if they could only get it, right? And you're just like, what? If they only understood. Um, yeah. I, so it just came down to, because paid media, right, is just such a competitive space. And so many brands have been wrong. And, and influencer marketing is a space too that a lot of people think of as like people play in the mud. Um, people get wronged by it a lot, scammed a lot. And we're trying to rewrite that narrative 100%. Um, but paid social has a very similar reputation. There's so many people, people don't know what to believe. There's so much noise. People talking about niche targeting, broad audience targeting, one creative, a million creative, what's better, uh, all these different things. So influencer marketing is kind of like the tip of the spear that gets us through the door, right? It's a sexy thing. And then paid media is the thing that allows us to really stick to the client and get sticky. Um, and so offering a free month to make it really like, hey, we're putting our money where our mouth is and we run cost cap strategies. So you don't need to pay us for our labor. You don't need to, you don't have any cost of labor. You don't need to do the work. And we're, hey, we're not going to spend any ad spend unless we're making you money at a profitable rate with the cost caps that we're conservatively setting. So you don't waste no time. You don't waste money on our agency. You don't waste time on ad spend, nothing. There's zero cost. So really trying to remove any sort of no from the equation from them um, and allowing us to to get our hands on that ad account, put it in our control was was important. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that. So double clicking down a little bit on that. So you could, coming from Common Thread um, and having followed Common Thread and knowing people from over there, they're very focused it's a company very focused on the unit economics within e-com. And so yeah. coming back and saying, hey, we're going to run cost cap strategy. I kind of, I mean, I obviously you and I understand most people who would be listening to this understand that. 
But do you go into your clients and say, hey, look, I need to know what your gross margins are on your products. I need to know what your most profitable products are. I need to know which are your top three to five that we need to be working on. Do you get essentially like a little economic playbook from them so that you can build out how you're going to run this strategy so that they can be like first purchase or, you know, 1.3 purchase uh, profitable? Um, or is that something where it's, you know, it's just up to them to tell you what works and what doesn't? Like, how do you go about getting that information out of them? Yeah, great, great question. I mean, initially, what I'll say is because within the free month, we don't want to spend too much time into their unit economics. If I'm just being transparent and honest on this call, I'm going to be candid. Uh, initially, it's just, hey, what are they hitting in their ad account? Let's go in and compete. Let's set our cost caps 30% lower than what they're hitting. Let's get as much delivery and spend as we possibly can and outperform what they're doing to show them that, hey, we can improve upon this. We can beat what you guys are doing and we can run it more efficiently. Um, after that free month is up, once we win the account 100% or dive into the unit economics of their products, we typically seed products to influencers and try to get as much creative around the top performers, 100% top performers. We just want as much creative as we possibly can around that to scale it as much as we possibly can. So from there, we'll get the unit uh, economics of that product, the gross margin, you know, how much gas can we throw on this fire to be as profitable as we can in ad spend to set those cost caps. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that, that totally makes sense to me. Um, so thinking about iOS 14 and kind of the headwind that it has been for all of us uh, in general in the business, um, have, did you find that having influencers and having the ability to give organic strategies helped you guys kind of maybe get through some of the months that were lumpier for other people who are just focused only on paid media? Because again, essentially like, few different offerings that you can provide. Hey, we can get you organic, um, working on distribution there, plus get content creation that is part of that. We're going to see mm -hmm. then we lever that into our strategy for paid to make sure that we kind of are flattening these things out so you don't have the dips that people were experiencing. Or was it kind of, you know, same thing as every other agency that, uh, that was dealing with problems over the last year or so? Uh, the former, yeah. I mean, from iOS 14, right, um, there's more of a call to action to um, allocate the distribution of your funds and where your efforts are a little bit more outside of the realm of Facebook. And we're big proponents of Facebook, as you can hear, and paid social in general. Um, but there is definitely um, a reason and a call to action to, hey, let's get organic going more. You know, a healthy brand, 50% is coming from organic percent is coming from paid so let's really try to build it out more and more and more influencer biased sure best best you know available you know option to tap on to build out that organic distribution in a powerful way from people that you know are relatable and that people trust um, and that can move the needle in converting sales but in addition to that you know what's an and i'm sure we're in agreement here to counteract iOS 14, what's the biggest variable to success? Creative and influencers are a great source of doing just that uh, and getting a lot of it at the most cost, you know, effective rates. Um, and it's content that performs really well. Um, it's native to the feed, it's relatable, people that are thumb stopping all of the above. Um, so getting as much creative as we possibly can outside of just a new organic distribution to supplement paid efforts was another way that powerfully counteracted it. Um, and to be honest, I don't know what you're seeing on your end, but across like the visibility of like, $350 million in ad spend, there was, with what we have access to, right, 
the bigger brands were not as impacted by the newer brand, but across what we have visibility into, um, there was a 30% drop in attribution, visibility and attribution within the ad accounts, but there was less than 1% in overall MER, like a drop in MER overall performance. So it really, in our opinion, wasn't, hey, this isn't an effectiveness issue. This is just a visibility issue. And so let's keep pushing here. Um, but yeah, that's all in all. Again, long-winded here, but keep us on track, Chase. No, this is, uh, we saw very much the same. Where, it, mm. So stepping back, my, my hot take, maybe it's not even that hot of a take, is we've all been just so addicted to in-platform metrics. And, um, we like just want it to be there and want it to be easy, which is fine. It's, which you, we want all of this stuff to be easy. Fortunately, it's not, uh, and things change. It's like, uh, trying to get off a drug, um, trying to get, you know, kick any habit, sugar or coffee, anything feels like shit when you're doing it. And you kind of just want it to go back to the way it was and live your life. And we haven't, like you said, we haven't gone to. MER, which is marketing efficiency ratio, if anyone doesn't know uh, what that is. Well and, done. And Beautiful. Say, and say, uh, is my Stripe account, Stripe account still hammering? If it's still hammering, and you're still Push. doing the exact same spend, and you're still getting the same Push. attribution from your Google, probably working. All right. Um, you know, go throw up a triple L or North Beam to, you know, take that 30% down to 10% so you feel more comfortable. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is what does my revenue look like? If it hasn't right. changed and or it's gone up, been working. Um, and it's just the old Don Draper days of we run stuff and we just we hit this revenue target uh, and uh, let's keep going. You, like, you'll have more clarity than than Don Draper, but 100% less, way less. Yeah. But Don Draper, yeah. the goat. But he Come didn't on. think about it as much because, you know, he had a few whiskeys, so he was good with it. And a Marlboro Red. Yeah, exactly. So we're still lucky strike. Uh, oh, that's right. That's uh, right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think absolutely. We've seen that same kind of leakage, but like the effectiveness hasn't necessarily gone down. It's no. just that the, the addiction to the in-platform metrics, um, has caused people to just be a little wary of everything. Hesitant. Rather than back. saying Facebook Leaning is in. the single most effective DR channel that exists in the world. They were more aligned than we thought. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Before we ever I even mean, launch, before we ever even launch an account, we actually, so we use Statless. It's just another, you know, one mm -hmm. of those, um, of course, triple whales. Yeah. Um, but they have yeah. a really great feature where you can upload your brand and get pre and post iOS 14 report. And so you get to see, hey, what were your CPAs? What were your ME, what was your MER? Uh, what was your ROAS? And so you can compare that pre post doomsday you know, like May 15th, whatever it was. Um, and you can see that drop off. So your MER, you know, pre post about, about the same, you kept spend the same that all these other variables, the same for a certain time window, MER is the same, but Hey, your row has dropped by this month, by this much, your CPA increased by this much. And so we adjust, we get that percentage increase, decrease and adjust the cost caps accordingly to lend that similar performance that you had pre iOS 14 update. So you need to come to that understanding for yourself what's the correlation pre-post what attribution visibility and attribution did you lose and scale against it as much as possible by implementing as much creative as you possibly can 
Yeah, that's a that's a great call out. Uh, shout out Statless people, go check it out. I think that report is is epic. I'm gonna take a look at one of those with Taylor after we get done here. Um, I think the the big one you keep coming back to, and fun uh, having conversations like this because it's like, oh, we're just two brothers on the same side of this uh, on the same side of this, which is. I find media buyers in general to be very focused on audiences still. Um, oh, I hate it. They talk about creative, but like they still feel like there's hacked out there. There are different things you can do without thinking, look, everything has been automated. 75 to 80%, if not more, has been stripped out of the platform. And it's going to be stripped out more and more uh, because Facebook understands that essentially creative is the new way that you target. You, you talked about it with all the different creators um, that you guys are working with to source content. It's the way that you're going to essentially find uh, adjacent users to the core user that you would find, the ICP that you would already find um, right. for, for the customer. How do you communicate that with the clients specifically? Because those people are drinking the same Kool-Aid on Twitter that most of the you know, media buying um, community is putting out there. And you can hear it when you're like, oh, I know whose strategy they're, they're, they pull off of Twitter when, right. when they come and talk. I'm sure you can feel it through like, oh, there's like, you know, there's four or five that everyone uses um, as kind of the North right. Star. And they're all really intelligent and, and share a lot of really, really important things. But at the end of the day, your business has context that strategies don't know about. And so the context right. is probably where actually the, the money for that business is going to be made. So how do you go about getting people to understand that? Because I, I think that's, I have my strategies for it, but I'm always curious to hear what uh, other people do to, um, to make yeah. people see the light. Let's share the, let's share the pitch here. Uh, at the end of the day, what it comes down to, and we just call it as it is, there's no such thing as guru tactical buying anymore. Was there a day and age for it? Sure. Uh, but that day is no more. Um, these are salesmen at the end of the day, trying to differentiate themselves to win over your business. Um, Facebook literally, I mean, it used to be you can click a button to expand interest targeting, right? Uh, where, hey, do you, if Facebook can find cheaper conversions for you, click this button and it will allow us to go outside the audience you're targeting. What does that mean? It means stop doing audience targeting. <laughs> and they actually got rid of that option altogether. Now it's automatic. Uh, so really what you even put in there doesn't even matter because Facebook's going to go find cheaper conversions for you. And like Chase is saying, they're automating as much as possible because they're sick of people losing on their platform because they're doing things the wrong way and then stripping money outside of the platform that you're running paid media on. Facebook is the most sophisticated machine learning system in the world. Um, don't try to outsmart it. That's what you do when you actually are trying to do narrowed target audiencing, uh, audience targeting. You're trying to outsmart this machine learning system that is the most sophisticated platform in the world all time ever before. Um, so instead of trying to outsmart it, uh, feed it as much as you can, the more variables you can feed it, the better output that you'll get more input, better output. Uh, and so our entire philosophy is focused on getting as much creative as we possibly can to feed it to the machine with restraints. As you've heard, we believe in cost caps, uh, and then allow the machine learning system to determine, Hey, which piece of creative should go in front of which person? allowing the audience target to be as broad as possible and to find the cheapest conversion on our behalf. So it's, again, doubling down on what you're saying, all about creative, feeding the machine as much as possible, 
if you narrow the target audience, you're just limiting its ability to find that purchase for you at a cheaper conversion. And it's kind of, it's tough, right? Because when people think about, hey, I, they come into your call. I know this is getting long-winded, but this is just kind of the last thing. Because I also want to show understanding for people. Hey, a majority of our customers are in Los Angeles. Like it says in Google Analytics or Shopify, you know, you know 95% of our customer demographic or purchases here. Hey, do you mind geo-targeting Los Angeles for us? Because that's we just know that's where a majority of our customers are. And I'm just like, hey, if you just go broad, you know, if they're just fulfilling the United States, go broad across the United States. Hey, Facebook very well may determine we, we're going to spend 95% of our money in L.A., but do you want to sacrifice that 5% of spend where we can find significantly cheaper conversions in Montana, in Milwaukee, Florida? And what if you're wrong? What if you find, you know, this demographic in freaking, I don't know, the armpit of America in El Paso uh, that just starts scaling your, your brand? You're just, you're eliminating the machine um, for at no gain, no gain whatsoever. Um, so long-winded, but we can go on about this all day at the, yeah. at the end of that cell. So. It's um, what you just said, I think happens to a lot of brands and what happens is they get confirmation bias because they've created a brand image for themselves, right? So say like, well, we're an LA brand. And so we sell in LA and it's like, well, you started in LA, you do all your pop-ups in LA, all your friends are in LA. It's like a brand that's more in the scene in LA. Well, don't you think someone in Louisville, Kentucky wants to have little LA vibes like that's For sure. not there's no there's no question that that is oh. and how do how do big brands make turn themselves into a meaningful business Allbirds didn't like become Allbirds without getting outside of tech you know right I mean man um, to, to loop in the history buff that we said might uh, make an appearance today wow. before we even jumped on we were talking about how the French you know found their way into the into the family rooms yeah, of Arfie. the people of Iran yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And so absolutely probably created for the yeah, French, but that ends up in for generations. Right? If French people said, uh, you know, we're only going to sell our furniture to French people and we're only going to let our culture be in France. Well, then they would, it wouldn't be like a cultural center, right? Right. Paris wouldn't be right. the most visited city in the world every year, even during COVID. Um, right. If it wasn't that and hadn't kind of. Infected is the wrong word. That's not a good thing to say these days. It influence. had influence, like pollinated. Yeah, influence. Yeah. For perfect word for for this for this call. Um, so I I want to shift towards like last one big picture thinking before we go into my anti rapid fire, which is we've been talking about kind of the strategy and the way you think about things and how you deliver value to your clients. What's your idea for where kind of you guys take the business next? Where we take the business next, honestly, what we're really focused on. So like Chase alluded to, we're about, you know, just over 10 employees at this point at 11. Um, and our clients are served by teams of four uh, domestic full-time employees. You have a team lead, an influencer specialist, creative specialist, paid media specialist. And then beneath that are like five to 10 contractors overseas. So that's like per pod. So at this point, we've really, you know, dialed in our process and our strategy and the execution of it um, through seeding influencers, you know, generating mass organic distribution, building genuine relationships with influencers that are authentic. It's not BS, not paid for post transactional that supplements paid efforts. So we're really trying to stick to that 
like core process and that core execution philosophy. And we're just trying to do it as many times as possible, rinse and repeat. So future of kinship right now, rinse and repeat pods of four um, as much as we possibly can and get as big as we possibly can to make as much of an impact um, within this realm. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Like I said, like process, scalable process changes kind of the entire game of what you can do because that pod of four probably was worth eight people to 10 people if you didn't have that process in place. All right. I mean, it, it pretty much equals our costs on a monthly basis for that pot of four. And then our overseas yeah. contractors equals one employee internally on full salary. So, yeah. 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 That's great. What, um, where do you get your best ideas? Obviously you and Cody probably strategize on a bunch of different things, but I'm sure you get ideas from different places where, where, where's kind of the, the golden, the jackpot for, uh, for Taylor. Twitter, man. That's where I mean, you got connected, right? Yeah, some of the brightest minds within my network um, just happened from Twitter. It's an incredible place to consistently educate yourself and network with people um, that ultimately may change your business. Uh, a perfect example is Chase and I. That's how we met, and we very, uh, we're about to start implementing Pencil AI into our overall process and philosophy, and that wouldn't have happened without that platform. So it's been incredible. Yeah. And then just mentors, right? Um, so mentors are really huge for me. And, Mentors can be through, I mean, connections like that. People that are five to 10 years ahead of you. So mm -hmm. like Taylor Holiday of Common Thread Collective, an incredible resource for myself. Um, he's five, 10 years ahead of where I'm currently at, tapping into him and leaning into him for as like a councilman, as an advisor, incredible. Finding people are at the same stage as you and just going shoulder to shoulder with them, bouncing ideas off one another, also huge. And then finding people to pour into, obviously at that point, the mentor-mentee relationship. Uh, flips, but I think all three tiers are really important to have. Yeah, I think it's something, um, it's still, it's, it's funny, it's not common practice to go and find mentors. Um, you know, we still get a lot of this, you know, this action where, or, or this information proliferated that we need to be able to do it on our own and, and mm -hmm. you need to be tough and strong and it's, you need to be all of those things, but there's nothing wrong with being able to, as my mom likes to say, like, lay your shit at someone's feet and say, what the fuck am I doing? Help me. Right. Um, There's strength in that, man. I don't man. know. There's probably oh, more absolutely. strength in that. Yeah, exactly. And so I would push people, I mean, wherever you can find them, right? Like it doesn't have to be even just business related, but I have mentors that are just like life mentors that, you know, are, are different. For sure. Push you to think about different things. I have one mentor and uh, he will just randomly text me sometimes and he'll just say, buck up. It's like he's a wet Virginia farm boy, and uh, he's fifty-five, has five kids, and he always is telling me to buck up. And it's always the days I need it for some reason. Like he has some sort of like sixth sense that I'm uh, that I need it. I'm like, dude, you just, I'm ready. Uh, thank you. I, need, I that was like exactly the text that I need. He's like, I could feel the forces, the force is strong between us today. Okay, um, so I would push everyone to get a mentor. That's a great call out. So now anti rapid fire. Anti-rapid fire. Okay, yeah. let's take it slow. Yeah, you know, uh, long-winded. Um, what what skill has served you best in life? Mm. Mm. Wow, that's a good question. Hmm. Uh, this is always an interesting one. You're going to talk about your own talent. 
uh, I think I can do a good job at encouraging people, um, seeing their gifts, empowering those gifts, extracting it and helping it grow. Um, and so it kind of ties back to the beginning of this podcast of, you know, what drives me, um, spending time with employees, uh, you know, helping them grow, um, helping them see, you know, their own gifts, their own talents, um, that they have a lot to offer and it's more than they can actually fathom at that time and get them to go above and beyond and outside of the own walls they put up for themselves. So I think if I was going to say uh, a talent, it, it'd probably be that encouraging that, um, and pushing people forward. Captain. I'm keep bringing, I'm, keep, I'm just going to call you cap from now on. That's the, uh, it keep coming back to that thing. I find very often there are people who have like magnetic pulls to them and it's not necessarily, it's not always like a personality thing. It's just the innate, this is what I'd like to do and serve people and make sure that they kind of, we can lift them mm-hmm. up. Um, I'm seeing that as a, as a huge through line um, throughout this conversation. So um, mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that. Uh, I'm going to brag for you, you know, Kat. Um, what's uh What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice. Hmm. The best leaders are servants. Yeah. Um, I would say that's pretty, pretty much captures it, but like lead from the back type thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Die to your ego. All along those lines. Servant leadership is huge. Um, So, yeah, it doesn't need to be. And how, and it's funny. Uh, perfect example of that tie it back to football too this guy named eric kendricks man never said a word but worked harder than anybody did everything right and just led by example he didn't need to be the loudest one he didn't need to have the eyes on him he didn't need all the you know attention from tv big personality he just did it right um and did it well so yeah. serving leadership and then just certain just served as other teammates um yeah. so big on that so I can tell you every bad decision or, or times when I have not served my team well has been kind of the, the um, Ryan Holiday. I don't think they're him and Taylor are related, but Ryan Holiday has a book called Ego is the Enemy. Um, and so yeah. every time yeah. I, I look back, every decision I made that was wrong, every time I didn't serve an employee or, or teammate well, it's, it's an ego thing. And so right. the more you can, I guess, sublimate that, um, and look at how do I serve this person and make sure that they're taken care of um, actually unlocks, like I think, like you said, like just a crazy amount of growth potential. Um, and like they'll be willing to go the extra mile because you've gone the extra mile for them. So I think that's that's really great. Last uh, last one. So you've been at this th- over three years now. Um, and obviously you have, you know, you have a great, uh, mentor who's been running a business in Taylor, but if you, if you had to go and advise someone or advise yourself when you were 24 about the things that you've gone through, what would you say is the first thing you would, you would tell them like, don't do this or do this and make sure you kind of keep investing in, I don't know, some process what would be the like single piece of advice or nugget you'd give somebody at the beginning of the race. Don't be scared to fail for sure. I think that'd probably be the biggest thing, especially, I mean, speaking to my age at 24, right? I mean, you're so young. Uh, Don't be scared to fail. Go try, try again, try again, try again, fail, fail, fail. 
um, you'll ultimately find that bread and butter. And there was plenty of things. I mean, we could go on and on and on about all the different package offerings we tried and, you know, how we got to what service we're doing now. Um, but just keep trying, keep your head down, keep going. Failing is, you know, an ingredient to success and without it, it, it won't happen. So don't be scared to fail. 100% would probably be the biggest thing. Um, you're young, go for it. Hell yeah, man. Failing builds scar tissue, which then allows you to take a much bigger load on the body. So yeah, um, or mind. So yeah, keep, keep at it. I, I love that. Um, and just learn how to take, uh, don't learn how to take a no, but learn how to detach yourself from the emotion of no, we're hearing no and rejection. It doesn't yeah. matter. Just keep getting as many reps as you possibly can. Business yeah. will come. My dad always says no doesn't mean never because they aren't in the, like the O is not in never. It just means not today. Right. Right. For instance, we've been working on our deal for a while. It wasn't a never thing. It was like, okay, well, not today, but we'll get it there when we need to get it across the line. So I think um, as long as you can invest in relationships and make sure that people know that you're there for them and like the business will be the business, it'll take care of itself. Good things will happen from there. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I'll be honest, man. You asked some deep questions today. I wasn't expecting it. I love it though. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Yeah. I, like I said, uh, before we were recording my, my goal is for people to get to know the person, like the business, they can follow you on Twitter and get the business stuff, but the personal stuff, frankly, um, I think unlocks a lot more because you can crack people's head open where their strategies actually come from. Um, and they come from, I think a much deeper psychological place than we give them credit for. Um, mm, it's good. Yeah. Well, Taylor, this was a, this was a pleasure. Um, people are like very lucky to get time here to learn from you. Um, I was very lucky to do that. I, I'm leaving a much, I wouldn't say smarter, but more informed person. Um, because, uh, as my wife would tell you, not, not, not particularly bright. Um, and so uh, I wanted to know, I wanted like, where can people reach out to you or talk to you? Obviously, uh, like we slid into each other's DMS. Um, so is Twitter the right place? I slid into Chase's DM. Yeah, he did. I was very he intrigued did. by the uh, pencil emoji and the fire flame uh, yeah, emoji. Of course. Exactly. Um, yeah, Twitter's a great place. Taylor Lagasay, um, yeah. my partner, is a great uh, person to follow as well. Cody Wittick. and then kinship.co, K-Y-N-S-H-I-P.co uh, for our website. So, would love to connect though. Yeah. Well, great. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll do it again. And maybe like you said, we'll just do a follow-up where we talk about, uh, do a his historical parallel to marketing as that's that right. be our next one. We like just every so often, maybe pick a, an era and we try to figure out what, what people were doing for influencer marketing in those times. That's How right. Apply today. Gladiators right, and pedaling yeah. olive oil. I'm excited. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, Taylor, it's really a pleasure. I'm excited for people to get a chance to listen to this and learn from you. Appreciate you having me on Chase. All right. Thanks. That's it. You did it. You made it through another episode of Ad Creative. We hope it was an enjoyable experience. You learned a lot from Taylor. As usual, like and share. And if you haven't subscribed to our channel and or the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please do so. Really want to share this information with as many people as possible. Uh, let's see you next week.